before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into college football overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. We have tons of interesting stuff to cover. National Signing Day at the time of this recording is in full throttle. We still have tons of news that's going to be coming from that, and we'll keep you updated on all that information right here on College Football Overtime. In the meantime, we got a lot of transfer portal news that we have to discuss, things that have happened between last show and this show. It just seems to be a constantly evolving thing, Abe Gordon. Plus, we have bowl games that we got to talk about because bowl season is in full throttle. We're still talking about that. We still got a lot of stuff going on there, tons of stuff to get to. Plus, Chip Kelly talking about a commissioner of football. Does he make sense? I don't know. We're going to talk about it right here on College Football Overtime. Before we do any of that, got to welcome in Abe Gordon. How you doing, buddy? We're doing pretty good, Garrett, man. It, it's it's kind of a crazy time, as you mentioned. We're all waiting for the semifinal games to be played. We've got a bunch of bowl games leading up to that. But uh, in the midst of this transfer portal and what was a revolving door of the coaching carousel, now we've got National Signing Day jumping oh, yeah. in the mix and stealing some headlines as well. So it is, as always, not slowing down in the world of college football. Yeah, we've got the University of Georgia that appears to be the number one overall class just based off of everything that's already transpired. It'd be kind of shocking if anything else changed on that front. They, uh, uh, Of course, they took home they the big switch from K.J. Bolden, but we'll be discussing that a little bit more here on Sunday once we actually have a full picture view of what this National Signing Day is actually going to look like because your Florida Gators, we have some things at the time of this recording. Fire them. Get them out of there. Fire them. I don't know. I don't know, but it's going to be very interesting. I know the state of Florida has been pilfered all afternoon long, so we'll see if the uh, the pilfering continues. But in the meantime, we got to talk a little bit about what's going on with the transfer portal because more people keep circulating and making decisions. The most recent decision, of course, was that of Dante Moore, the UCLA quarterback who the former five-star player is had a lot of intrigue and a lot of people who were very interested in acquiring his services, but it turns out he's going somewhere to potentially sit behind somebody. Dylan Gabriel has thrown for more than 3000 yards his last two seasons. He's widely regarded as one of the better players that was in the transfer portal at the time. And he commits to Oregon and Dan Lanning's program. Look, they just sent somebody to, to New York for the as a Heisman finalist. They're moving into the big 10. Everyone just sort of assumed, well, Dylan Gabriel is going to be that guy. Well, then they go out and add Dante Moore, another one of the top players in the transfer portal at the quarterback position. Now, he is only a true freshman. Uh, he's still got three years of eligibility left. We could see maybe he takes a redshirt year and maybe just wants to hit the reset button and start over on his college career. That could be a potential thing. Or, Abe, do you think that these two are actually going to fight for a starting job as soon as next season? I think it will be an open competition. I do not expect Dante Moore to win it. Um, I, I think Dan Lanning will be pretty open and honest about what's going on here. I think this is a brilliant move. I, I know it was discussed early on in the transfer portal period, even before um, uh, Dylan Gabriel had committed, that there was the potential of Oregon grabbing two. I think it's a great setup. I think it's a great transfer of power. Um, I think it's a situation where you can – look, we saw Dante Moore play a little bit this year. There were some very, very serious mistakes uh, in his game. I, I think sitting behind uh, someone who's seen pretty much all there is to see in college football from small school up to big school, uh, a guy like Dylan Gabriel, sitting and learning in that offense uh, and then having uh, two years potentially to 
come in and perform in that offense. Uh, I think it's a great setup for Dan Lanning. I, I think it's a great move for Dante Moore if he has patience. A, a, and that's what we're asking, right? We're asking a former five-star, one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school, to be patient. Um, that's not what Dylan Rayola is. That's not what, uh, and you can run down the list, this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy. There's a number of quarterbacks around the country that have not shown restraint, that have not shown patience, that have not shown a willing to learn without playing. Uh, I, I think this is a brilliant move for Dante Moore in his development. I think it's a brilliant move for Dan Lanning to try and um, get things settled, not just for one year where you then have to go back into the portal and pull a quarterback every single year, but to try and have a transition of power. I actually wonder if this is a trend, maybe the first instance of this trend where you bring in a guy for one year and you bring in another uber-talented younger guy to sit and learn, and you you do transfer portals two at a time. I, I do wonder uh, if that's the next big thing in college football because I think it's a brilliant move all around. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, pressure on Dylan Gabriel, anything like that. I, I just It looks like it will work um, as long as everyone's agreeable and patient and accepting of the situation. And, and I have to believe that there were no lies told to Dante Moore, right? They had to tell him the situation and what's likely um, coming in. It's most likely you're going to sit behind Dylan Gabriel. He's going to go to New York and, and compete for Heisman, most likely. And, and you're going to be next in line. And, and, and as long as he understands that and, and follows that through for a year, I think it's a brilliant move for Dan Lanning, for Oregon, and for Dante Moore, who I do, I do think is talented but needs to see the game from a different angle. Yeah, I think you're, you nailed it, honestly. I don't see this as a competition necessarily. I think Dylan Gabriel was assured the starting job, otherwise he wouldn't have come there. I mean, 3,600 yards, 30 passing touchdowns for a 10-2 and two Sooners team that was a pretty good team. And Dylan Gabriel had a lot to do with that fact. And I think going to Oregon, I think, is really going to up his profile. It's going to up his uh, potential stat stats, I would say, just because just looking at what Oregon's been able to do on offense um, has been really pretty fantastic. Um, but we'll see. They, I mean, they're ranked number two nationally in scoring 44 points per game. I, I know that Dante Moore has a little bit of progression that he still needs to do. But one thing that's also worth noting is the fact that Dante Moore was committed to the University of Oregon and, and Dan Lenning for about five months leading into National Signing Day. And he had a very public switch at the last second saying, hey, I'm actually going to go play for Chip Kelly and UCLA. And it didn't really, it kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people. So I think that there's already that level of trust that exists between him and Dan Lanning. So I think he understood the, the situation and I think he was making the decision that was best for him. He just, he wasn't ready to start this year. And I think, he felt that he was, but he learned the easy way. Let's just say that way. Like How he, much he of this out. is, a, a, and I don't want to compare him directly because I do think the situations are different. Mm -hmm. um, Quinn Ewers goes up to Ohio State uh, knowing he's not going to play, um, but gets NLIL money for a year. And then he transfers back to Texas, which everyone kind of expected. It, it, I mean, people had joked about it beforehand. It's not the same thing, but but you do look at the situation where Dante Moore was headed to Oregon, gets a situation where he can find some NIL money, yes, but more importantly, will have a chance to play immediately, which he was not going to do at Oregon, not when Bo Nix was an incumbent there. I mean, it was, we understand the situation there. 
Um, but he goes to UCLA and, and he does get some experience and then he goes into the portal and goes right back to Oregon. I, mm. I'm not saying it was predetermined. I'm not saying it was a year long plan that, that was kept on the hush hush, but I'm also saying you can't ignore that possibility. Not when you also saw Quinn Ewers do it, albeit not for playing time for, for straight financial reasons. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's an interesting thought. I think. It's I don't a conspiracy. Think that, it's not it's, a real. It's absolutely a conspiracy. It's not a real. Yeah. It, it, but it's. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thought. It's I, I understand that. It, it wouldn't surprise me that some people have done something kind of similar to that. But I would say that's likely the case if somebody wants to go play for a coach and maybe the program doesn't have the funds to provide him. And I don't think Oregon is necessarily that program that doesn't have the funds to provide him. Um, but I think it's interesting. I, I think it's an interesting thing that in this stage of name, image, and likeness, who knows? There are really no guide rails on. Any well, you, you do got to remember. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's in the fine print, but Dante Moore refused to meet with Oregon's collective um, before he made his decision. So I, I do not think it was a case where money was the driving force. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that decision from Moore um, speaks to that. I think so, and I think you're right there. But look, I, I know I do know one thing for certain: it's Oregon is in likely the most enviable situation of anybody. In, across the country yeah. like, you, you could make that argument that they are in the top position of anybody across america georgia's right up there with them just with their stable of players um same can be said about a number of different schools maybe texas has something to say about that as well with quinn ewers coming back likely next year uh, no official word there he's coming back but arch manning of course is still on that roster malik uh is malik murphy is transferring but look to have multiple five-star level players and, and high level quarterbacks is, is, is a good situation for Dan Lenning as he moves into the Big Ten and you have your veteran guy taking you and leading you into the fold that's a big deal for him and that program but I do want to move into some of our other transfer portal news and notes I, w- I do want to talk about Kentucky because I wanted to talk about Kentucky last week after they go out and add Trip Taint Trainum from Ohio State the running back uh, they had already added Brock Vandegrift the quarterback but now as of Wednesday the time of this signing or this this recording they have now signed Jamon Dumas Johnson. Pop, pop, that's how they knew him at the University of Georgia. He was a former Buttkiss Award finalist. He he had a hundred, well over 120 sack, uh, sacks, 120 tackles, multiple sacks. He was living in opponents' backfields. He got hurt this year and got kind of pushed out of the rotation at Georgia. The inside linebacker room at Georgia is one of the deepest. I was talking to Rusty Manziel um, of On3, also from the Steakhouse. He knows this stuff pretty well, and he knows that uh, this is one of the best units in all of college football, uh, the inside linebacker room in particular. So Jamon Dumas-Johnson, it's it's not that he is uh, not talented enough to compete at the college level. We already know that that's not the case. We do know that Kentucky just hit a grand slam with his signing on National Signing Day. The news broke, of course, earlier this afternoon. Big signing for Kentucky that continues a huge cycle for the Wildcats. Look, I, I'm going to be honest about JDJ, a.k.a. Pops, a.k.a. Jamon Dumas-Johnson. He is a guy that plays bigger than his talent. He, he mm-hmm. outperforms his talent mentally. Uh, he was a pseudo-captain uh, of the Georgia Bulldogs defense. Um, but the NFL does not love him. Uh, I don't think he's ever broken as a top 50 uh, projection. A- a- and so this is a situation where there was real concern uh, about what sort of playing time he would see at Georgia. You mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, he gets injured. C.J. Allen comes in, has a rough half to start his Georgia career, and just takes off. 
um, to, to the point where you look at the projections next year and, and he is that dude, right, that next dude at Georgia because th- there seems to be a nonstop flow of them, a- a- as you referenced. Um, and I understand it for JDJ. A um, little bit of writing on the wall that, that he may not have been uh, the preferred player at that position moving forward. And it, it's a tough go uh, for Kirby Smart to have to make that decision. Um, and look, I'm sure those two talked. I'm sure they were uh, open and honest with each other about the mindset of each and the situation they would or would not be continuing with. Um, and he made a choice. And I know a lot of people in the Mid-Atlantic were excited when he announced that he would be transferring from Georgia. I know he's uh, close to a Maryland uh, Terrapin situation up there where he was uh, playing his high school ball. Some thoughts maybe he would go up to uh, College Park there, but he does end up in Kentucky, and you mentioned it. You've got a nice quarterback there. We all expect Brock Vandegrift uh, to do some things up there. You you add the running back out of Ohio State, who a good running back, talented, just caught in a numbers game, the same situation here, yeah. a guy who can come in and lead your defense. And, look, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Garrett, so I don't want to get into – what realistically um, Kentucky's looking to be uh, as, as a program. But I, I think this is a good, solid choice um, for Kentucky to bring him in and then also for JDJ. I, I mean, look, Kentucky's a hard-nosed, tough defense, um, and, and it seems like he'll fit. I think he would fit pretty much anywhere uh, based on his talent level. I'm excited to see him stand out away from the talent uh, that was surrounding him at Georgia. Yeah, I think this is honestly a slam dunk for him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, and he's going to get the opportunity to play against his former team uh, coming up this season. And, uh, well, at least in the same conference. I don't know if they actually line up on the uh, the schedule this year just off the top of my head, just because, of course, we have the reclassifying of the divisions and everything else. But uh, one other name that they picked up earlier this week, Texas A&M's Raymond Cottrell, uh, the wide receiver, didn't really get a lot going for – for himself his freshman year over at Texas A&M, but he was a former four-star recruit, very talented player out of Florida. Uh, Maybe some potential there uh, to match up with Brock Vandegrift, but Kentucky just continues to make moves. Ole Miss is another one of those programs that's continued to make moves. Walter Nolan was just in over there for a visit over the weekend. They're continuing to move up a lot of these transfer portal rankings, but one person that we do need to keep our eyes on Malachi Nelson the USC transfer, he is expected to trim his list to five by the end of the week because with National Signing Day on Wednesday, honestly, I would expect a lot of these decisions to start coming here soon. Malachi Nelson had a list of offers, and at least people who contacted him, that was greater than 50. More than 50 people have reached out to him just in the last like three, four days, which is just a crazy number of people. Um, Of course, USC is in position to land Will Howard from Kansas State, so we feel like that had a lot to do with Malachi Nelson's decision to move away from USC. But a lot of these decisions might be coming here over the next couple of days. Signing day really had a lot to do with that. But Abe, did you have any more thoughts on signing day before we move on? No, I think you make a good point. We we mentioned it earlier. If guys don't want to compete for jobs, they will wait to see where quarterbacks do and more specifically don't end up and, and then maybe narrow their list from there. So uh, you made a good point with that. Yeah. So, Let's move into some comments that we heard earlier this week. Chip Kelly. Of course, Chip Kelly was uh, made his – he cut his teeth over at the University of Oregon, and then he go, goes down to Philadelphia and San Francisco, but doesn't really do all that much there. But now he's back at UCLA. 
and he's doing pretty well, all things considered. He's, he's been uh, rumored to be on the hot seat once or twice this season, but he did have some very interesting comments, and, and we're going to let you hear those comments right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast before we discuss them. But really setting it up, it was before the bowl game. What was it? The, who did they play? What was their bowl game? What do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, UCLA, off the top of my head, slash buying myself some time to look it up, played in the uh, L.A. Bowl. The L.A. Bowl, that's right. They played uh, Boise State. That's who it was. And But it wasn't, as, as you can see, it wasn't the bowl game itself that really drew a lot of attention. It was his comments that he said after the game. So here, I'm going to I think take- they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. And I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our, our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left, and they're saying, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the Group of Five, and we separate it, and we play each other. You can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. That video, of course, courtesy of 24-7 Sports, posted it up on YouTube. Thank you for them. Thank you to them for, for doing that for us. But very interesting comments. Very interesting comments. I know he he is the head coach of a team that's moving into the Big Ten. Um, but the biggest, the crux of what he was trying to say is that college football has long since been its own entity. It has long since been the most important thing in college athletics. It is representative of the vast majority of revenue that is made from college athletics. And they only play once a week. They only play 12 times a season, let's say. There is no good reason that a volleyball team, a baseball team who might play 40, 50 times a season, needs to be doing cross-country traveling multiple times a week when the only reason these moves and deals were done in the first place was because of football. So his, the crux of his argument is that football needs to break out and do its own thing. And basically, you can go get 64 teams and create effectively a mega conference, if you will, a semi, like a, I don't know, a semi-pro version, uh, an NFL light, if you will, where it's just the football teams. Every like the, the Pac-12 still exists as the Pac-12, and UCLA can go play Arizona, like he said, or, or Oregon can play Washington as a member of the Pac-12 conference. In the Big 12, you have Texas Tech and Texas playing, for example. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. It preserves a lot of the regionality of college athletics, which, for, quite frankly, that's how it should be. You should be able to get onto a bus and drive to your opponent. You shouldn't have to get on a plane and fly for five hours in order to get to your opponent. Doesn't make a lot of sense for a volleyball team. Maybe it does for football, because football plays in a world of its own. They, they generate such gaudy amounts of revenue that it makes it more affordable. And and one thing that this would also do, you would get a commissioner, you would be collectively bargained. There are lots of other legal things that would have to be, have to transpire in order for this to take place. But another thing that it would do, it would get some guardrails on things like the transfer portal, on things like name, image, and likeness, on things like punishments for uh, uh, illegal recruiting or, or tampering of some kind. But you would actually have a commissioner because at the end of the day, Abe, I'll ask you this. If I have complaints 
specifically for college football, where am I going? I'm going to the NCAA. And the NCAA is a governing body that encapsulates everything. They they don't put an emphasis on football over volleyball or any of these other sports that are not necessarily revenue-generating sports. What you would do in this situation, you would have a commissioner specifically for football, similar to a professional league, which they've long since not been student-athletes. They're athlete-students. These guys play sports. Like, that's what they do. That's effectively what they do for a living. And you would be able to, to be able to collectively bargain and get them a paycheck. So it's not name image likeness as much as it is an actual employee. So very interesting news coming from Chip Kelly. Abe, I'll open the floor for you. Yeah, it, it's a great idea. Um, if anyone thought it's realistic and here's the problem and you kind of walked into a trap that I was going to set, but you, you did so without me having to do so. Um, Let's take a look at the commissioner uh, of mm-hmm. the National Football League. It, and who does he work for? What is he looking for in the best interest of what? The answer is the owners. And what are the owners? They're businessmen and women. Um, he's not in there. Roger Goodell's not there for the best interest of the National Football League or, or the best interest of the players. He's there for what's the best money-making decision for the owners. And, and ultimately, And look, I wish it were a different story. I wish this wasn't uh, the facts or the matter of the case. Mm. But um, you have to do what's the best decision for revenue. That's what the colleges and the conferences and the ADs and the presidents, they're not as concerned with the student athlete as they are concerned with making money. I, I think that's been proven. I, I don't have to list out each scenario for you in regards to that. Uh, so ultimately, what would a commissioner be tasked with doing? Is he really going to be tasked with looking out for the student athlete or, as you say, now athlete student? Um, or is he tasked with making as much money as he potentially can for the people who hired him, uh, w- which would be the member institutions of whatever scenario He's talking about, uh, I, I love it in premise. I agree in premise, but there's, you're fighting against a couple things, right? And, and look down the road, maybe there's a scenario for this. At this time, this wasn't feasible. L- like th- this whole revolution and realignment went so quick. You had to just be focused on how it would affect your football program or be left out. You, you didn't have time to deal with what's it mean for volleyball? What's it mean for swimming? What's it mean for track? Like, like it just wasn't realistic because as you saw with how the big, uh, excuse me, the Pac-12 fell apart, if you waited too long and you weren't part of that tornado and got scooped up, you're just left there standing, looking and trying to figure out where everyone else went. And so down the road, given a long stretch of time and a lot of debate and discussion over parameters, Maybe there is a world in which this could be a, a feasible solution. It was never going to happen quickly, though. And, and I think that's kind of the misconception is like, well, instead of doing the realignment, why didn't we just do this? It, it happened so quickly. You you had no shot, no shot, because this is a very long discussion. Now, it's a discussion I believe should be had. Um, and it's a discussion that has been mentioned for, Garrett, you're younger than me, but damn near since you were in elementary school. Football and the other college sports should be separate. That that is something that's been talked about for years and years and years. It started with the Title IX stuff, right? All right, well, is football going to impact the scholarships or is the others? And and it's just gone on and on and on. 
revenue, non-revenue, Olympic sport, non-Olympic sport, all that stuff. Sure. And and so I love the premise of it. I do like someone that has some sort of power or authority to do what's best for the sport, to do what's best for the kids. Uh, but realistically, they're always going to be outweighed by what's best for the institution. And what's always going to be best for the institution is how do we make more money? And it's unfortunate. This is the situation we find ourselves in both with sports and pretty much everything else in life. Money runs the world, Garrett. This is nothing new. It's an old saying. Uh, And college football, unfortunately, is no different. And the traditions, the rivalries, the whatever you want it to be is always going to get caught up in how do we make the most amount of money this year, next year, the year after? Well, so unless see, you find a way to change, say again, I don't see how, how this model would necessarily change any of that as, as we, because I don't think it. a commissioner is working towards the most amount of money. He's working towards what's in the interest of the players. Those two ideals don't align. That's why it doesn't work. I wish it I mean, did. I see where you're coming from with that, but th- at the same time, it's, that's where you would, you would have a unionized student body. Like the, the, the student athletes would be, then be, or the athlete students, I guess, as I call them, would be a, yeah, yes, a, a unionized term. group that would actually be able to collectively bargain on their own. So say they go out and make $50,000 on their own, just as like a baseline amount of money. So it's like, hey, you're a member of our 64 team uh, committee or, or, gr- or a group of teams or whatever you want to call it. I don't, what he talked about, like naming it off, like the Amazon League or whatever, like that. I don't know. Yeah, you, you got to go back and listen to the dollars, full comments, but though. you would have, but you would have fifty thousand dollars per player, which would amount to, I don't know, quick math, uh, I don't know, eight million dollars, six, seven, seven million dollars, or something like that, per team, which is more than feasible if you really think about it, based off of the amount of money that they made just in TV revenue, just in TV revenue, they'd be be able to pay for that easily but then you would on top of that be able to make as much as your actual name is worth so the premise of what name image and likeness is right now is not really what name image like this was meant to be it was meant to be you can go get paid x number of dollars for an appearance now it's just some shadow figure that throws you a million dollars to come sign with their institution yeah, now it's a recruiting tool it's just a recruiting tool yeah what it should be, which is what it was set up to be, was somebody just say, hey, you have the ability to make some money based off of your name. Now, not with all the stuff with collectives and everything else that has gone on. In this instance, based off of what I was just saying, $50,000, that's fine. Like, that's a decent yeah, but it's not money for these kids. It's just a problem. random number I pulled out of off. No, it, it doesn't matter what the number is. The, the, the point is, if you do it in football, you're going to have to do it everywhere else down the line. And so that's where you get into trouble. That's why this idea of separating football from the other sports for, for any of this to work, that has to be the first step. You have to break off from the rest of the school. And that's, and that's really what I think the crux of what Chip Kelly was trying to say is because it is that we are decades late on this. Like you mentioned, this this has been a discussion for a long time. It's because we are decades behind on this sort of thing. And it's more that we've just sort of continued with the status quo. I, I don't know if this is, but uh, we have we have the next step this year. We but, we have seen a sport that has continued on a path to make the most money. What Chip sure. Kelly suggested, and I know we only played a snippet of it because it went a lot further into detail. It it it, it, it it's not 
it's not maximizing profit. That's why it's never going to work. That's why it's never going to be discussed and it's never going to be of interest. Uh, look, I, I'm talking as someone who understands the future here of, of why it won't work. I'm not yeah. talking as a fan. I would love to see a lot of the things he suggested break down the way he suggested them. But being a realist, it, it's just not feasible because it's going to cost institutions money and they're not willing to go down that path. Why would they? It's just the nature of, of where we are right now. It, they, I, I think you have to get a hand, a, a, some sort of handle on what's going on in this and in, in this sport right now. We've talked a lot about what's going on with name, image, and likeness. We, we just mentioned that. So I'll start there. Based off of what it's doing right now, it's, it's just wholly unsustainable. I, I have no way. There's no way that I think that this can continue. I don't think, I don't think it needs to be addressed. I think it will only need to be addressed if we do not see a market correct itself. And I think that's where we're headed. I agree with you. I don't think it's sustainable, but I do think you'll see a market correct itself. I do think you'll see people not making money as freshmen until they've proven what they can do. I I think there's going to be situations where you don't get 2 million as an incoming because you're a five star. It will correct itself. Mm -hmm. But to allow that to happen, and the same thing with the transfer portal, by the way, like I do believe there will be a market correction and it will figure itself out, but we have got to be patient. And I don't have a, well, three years is the number, five years. I don't know when that patience should run out or you decide you do have to do something, but I do believe you have to give it some time to figure itself out on both fronts, NIL and the transfer portal, because I do think they will settle in and find their rhythm and yeah. be uh, a positive. But right now, both of them are just a total free-for-all. I agree. And at some point, we're going to start seeing some contracts actually enter the fold. Uh, I have to imagine that that's going to be the case. Of course, if you go into what Chip Kelly was suggesting, that's part of it. And that's part of a collectively bargained situation like you see in the NBA, like you see in Major League Baseball, across every professional sports league that exists right now. You have a collectively bargained agreement, a CBA, that decide, decides all of this stuff and you sign contracts and everything's official and it's and it's properly done as opposed to what we see right now, which is just sort of a handshake under the table. And all of a sudden you have uh, some money show up in your checking account and, or maybe in this case, it's a Venmo. I, I honestly don't even know. It's, it's so shady. Uh, maybe they just have a, 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 a bucket of money that just appears one day underneath their, <laughs> underneath their house or something. I really have no idea where all this stuff is happening, but like you said, we're likely moving into a situation where all of this stuff will correct well, itself. But l- let me say this because I think you've got a situation and like Roger Goodell is one thing, right? The NFL is the most popular sport in the world or in the U S at least I don't start with yeah. a cricket soccer discussion here, but um, college football is on the rise and it has been for a while. And we'll see what the impact of the 12 team playoff does to continue its popularity but college football has surpassed baseball surpassed it is in my opinion and maybe people want to argue the nba or whatever it is in my opinion the second biggest sport in this country it is um and when you look at what is going on in in major league baseball and some of the decisions the commissioner's office has made in major league baseball i would argue it is to save the sport right the commissioner's office in Major League Baseball is no longer about maximizing profit uh, on a sport on the rise. It is about saving a sport on the decline. That's why you have pitcher's clocks. That's why you have some of the new rules that were instituted to speed up games so you get more people to watch. 
what we're looking at here with this perspective uh, discussion in regards to Chip Kelly is way down the road when you've maximized profits and you now need to save the sport. That is where I believe you start to have the decision of, all right, this guy needs to come in and make some decisions because our sport is struggling. But at the rate that college football is growing, we're still in the maximized profit stage. We're not in save the sport. Let's do what's in the best interest. No, they're still making money. And until you start to see it plateau and then decline the way you have seen it in baseball, where they're no longer, and I know baseball's the money spent free agency wise is still a lot, but um, they they went from maximizing profit to save our sport, and that's what the commissioner is now tasked with in Major League Baseball. I don't think that's what they're trying to do in college football or the NFL right now. Yeah, and I think this is just the nature of of where we are in this sport, and I think we've still got. A long way to go before we actually get to anything close to something yeah. that symbolizes a finish yeah. line. We are years away from something yeah. like that. But I, I think Chip Kelly's comments were interesting enough that we wanted to bring it to you right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast because it, it I think it is it's relevant to the discussion. I think it's very important that we do get guidelines and parameters on where we are as a school. It's also great to see an active coach bring that up. I like that too because to someone else who just kind of covers the sport and like wants to do what's best or, or get click. Like it's nice to see that sort of personality and character bring this to the forefront. And, and it's specifically something that I'm going to ask Brent key uh, when I'm down there in Tampa Bay for the Gasparilla bowl, which we're going to discuss here in just a second. And I'm going to ask him after the game, Hey, what are your thoughts on Chip Kelly's comments? And I'm interested to see what he has to say about that. But a lot of coaches have been, are notorious for being guarded and, and maybe they don't want to share that information. Maybe they, it's lock and key uh, on everything that goes on. And like, Hey, I'm just going to worry about what's going on in my world right now. And Chip Kelly, of course, is notorious for, for being a little bit broad and, and big thinking. And, and I don't know, maybe he's, he's, he's pandering for a, a potential commissioner role here in the next couple of years. We'll see if that's actually the case. I don't think that's really the case, but we will see. But Abe, let's move into our bowl discussion because we still have bowl games and actual football, actual football to be played here over the next couple of days. So let's start here on Thursday night. As of this recording on Wednesday, this is tomorrow. But as of the time that you're watching this podcast, this is later today. The Boca Raton Bowl. South Florida. Well, in so I, I, I want to pause you real quick and just go back to some of the games we hadn't talked about. When we recorded last podcast, uh, Garrett, Old Dominion was up 28 nothing. Uh, yes. Oh, West, yes. Western Kentucky, I, I said some real dumb stuff. Uh, I, I Feel free to skip that one. Don't go back and listen to what <laughs> I said. They were up 28 nothing at the time, and I made some, some sly comments. Uh, Western Kentucky actually came all the way back, and they went to overtime in Western Kentucky – wins that game, the Toastery Bowl. Uh, in addition to the big win, there was some nonsense celebrations with pieces of bread afterwards. So I do urge you to go on social media and check out the Toast phone and all sorts of nonsense. There was a Toast Angel going on. I mean, it was it was this pretty funny. This is what bowl season is yeah. all about, Abe Gordon. It is about fun and weird stuff that yeah. people do. So like we'll, continue, we'll continue the weirdness Tuesday night, UTSA and Marshall. It, it, it starts to come down that UTSA, uh, UTSA quarterback, Frank Harris is, is trending towards not playing in this game. So uh, instead of Frank Harris uh, 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 playing in this game, what we end up with is, is Cole Pennington for Marshall and Owen McCown 
for UTSA. And UTSA does pull ahead 35-17 to win this game. But you've got the son of Josh McCown, the son of Chad Pennington, and everyone else just feels old at this point. But uh, bowl season has continued throughout the week. Uh, It has been fun to watch these games. Uh, And that now brings us, Garrett, appreciate you giving me some leniency there. Of course. uh, To Thursday's game, South Florida and Syracuse. I am very excited for this one. Uh, Obviously, Syracuse has gone through a head coaching change. Fran Brown has brought some real excitement to this program, both through the transfer portal, through some of the recruits. I mean, he's really got some stuff going. Obviously, we won't see it on on Thursday night, uh, but there's an energy around that program. And on the flip side, I know South Florida didn't have the greatest season uh, of all time, uh, but they are playing decently close to home. Obviously, just a couple of hours drive. It was a six and six season for them. But if you don't know about South Florida, they have legitimately one of the uh, most uh, electric offenses in the entire country. They can really put points on the scoreboard. So I'm looking forward to this game uh, uh, quite a lot. I-, I think this one could be a fun, <clears throat> high scoring back and forth affair. Uh, I know Syracuse has some issues along the quarterback depth chart uh, going in there. I don't know. Maybe Tommy DeVito's got some uh, got some eligibility left there. But uh, I think this is going to be a fun one, Garrett. Yeah, and Garrett Schrader, I think, just announced that he was shut down for the season. Yeah. Uh, he, of course, was the uh, longtime quarterback. Uh, not long time, I guess. He he had transferred up there, and he was sometime. the starting quarterback. This, he was the sometime quarterback <laughs> there at Syracuse. <laughs> Um, but I do know by the end of the season, Dino Babers had transitioned this team to kind of an option offense. Um, they didn't throw the ball too much. They had a tight end lining up. You think you're going to keep that with Kyle McCord next year? No, I don't, <laughs> thir- I don't particularly think so. Um, LaQuint Allen was the, the, really the cog of the offense. He was the running back over a thousand yards, nine touchdowns for those guys. And they, they really just, they just made it work, you know, because, they knew that they had games still to play and, and look credit to Dino Babers. And uh, of course he they've moved on from Dino Babers, but credit to him. I mean, he got the guys up and, and they kept playing and they, he's the reason they're playing in this bowl game. Um, I, I can't say that I necessarily agreed with the decision to move on from Dino Babers, just based off of the way that players were rallying around him, but the energy that exists around the program right now with Fran Brown, I think it's, it, it was a great hire for them so far, so far, so good. And it's, it's hard to win a hire just, three weeks into your tenure as a head it's a good coach, start though. but it's just a hell of a start. Yeah. I do want to say this about USF because Alex Golesh is the head coach over there for the bulls. And he inherited a one in 11 squad. They haven't played in a bowl game since 2018. And you said that they are one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah. It's because they play fast. They have 83 offensive plays per game, which leads FBS 83. That's an incredibly high number. Byron Brown just announced that he's coming back. He had is one of two players. He was him and Jaden Daniels who threw for 3,000 yards and ran for 700. Uh, they have some momentum, really, for the first time in a long time. USF is doing a lot of good things right now. But I do want to move into uh, the Gasparilla Bowl, two teams who really are going to want to play a lot of offense. Uh, Georgia Tech, of course, this is the game that got their head coach fired. Jeff Collins, the coach there over the yellow jackets for about three seasons last season they lost pretty ugly down there in orlando or i guess it was, no it was bad down there in orlando um it was a pretty ugly game and georgia tech of course is playing in their first bowl game since 2018 I, honestly we got the jekyll and hyde performances from them but haynes king in this offense they have been 
playing at such a high level. Eric Singleton, the, the All-American wide receiver, uh, American, uh, excuse me, the freshman honorable mention All-American. Um, it's kind of a mouthful. But Jamal Haynes, of course, this group runs for 225 yards per game. They're, the defense is going to be playing without Kyle Kennard. They're going to have to somehow slow down a Central Florida offense that is 20th in rushing success rate, 233 yards per game on the ground. This is a really interesting group. I think there are going to be a lot of points in this one. So if you like points, this is the game for you. Yeah, you know, what's interesting to me is that this is one of the few games where I feel both teams are truly invested. I think it's an easy sell uh, for Georgia yeah. Tech and, and Haynes King and Brent Key uh, in his first year as the full-time head coach reaching a bowl game. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you take a look at their, their season. Uh, one of the biggest goals was just get to six wins get to a bowl game and they accomplished that um and they should head into this game feeling very proud uh, of the job that they've done this year no matter how it got done um and, and you like to see a team that play i always feel like if a team is loose um they'll, they'll play well uh, georgia tech should treat this as a celebration uh, of the season they've had uh and, and then ucf uh, obviously uh, you're talking about 45 minute drive from orlando out there at Raymond James Stadium. There should have a ton of fans there. Georgia Tech will too. But UCF should have a ton of fans there. Look to show up and show out for their Golden Knight supporters. So uh, they, I agree with you, man. This could be a fun one uh, as well to kick off the uh, bowl weekend. Yeah, Lane Kiffin used to say, get your popcorn ready. I think that's kind of what's going to be happening in this one. RJ Harvey leads the backfield, 1,200 yards rushing, 16 touchdowns. Gus on squad is going to be ready to go. But I really think Brent Key and company, they really, really want this game. Uh, I, I'm excited. I mean, UCF, of course, they they finished off their season, the first season of the Big 12. They were the only team, the only new addition to make a uh, – that was a new addition in the Power Five. They they joined the Big 12. None of the other teams made a bowl game. So this would be a really like, – an exclamation mark to the end of the season for Gus Malzahn's first year in the Big 12. Let's move into the games on Saturday because we start with Troy and Duke. Both programs are going to be without their head coach. Mike Elko, of course, is off to Texas A&M. John Summerall is off to Tulane. So I feel like this is almost the antithesis of the game that we just discussed because the Blue Devils, they've been decimated by the transfer portal. Seven starters so far at the time of this recording are gone. Riley Leonard, of course, is off to, to Notre Dame. Uh, Jordan Waters is gone, too. We'll see what Grayson Loftus can do in the wake of the— I mean, he, he started a lot of the season in the wake of the Leonard ankle injury. He was okay. Um, but Jordan Waters, of course, the great running back, um, he's going to be replaced by Jaquez Moore, who they split carries with most of the season. He's still at 600 yards, six touchdowns. Um, I, I'm very interested to see what Duke actually throws out there. I really don't know what to expect from the Blue Devils in this one. At least Troy has a strong identity. They run the ball well. Uh, Kimmy Vidal was the Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year. He had 1,500 yards rushing, 14 touchdowns, 233 yards in the Sunbelt Championship game. Uh, quarterback Gunnar Watson is going to be good enough for them to, to, to really – make a good impression on this one. They play good defense too. So I fully expect Troy to control this football game, mostly because I don't really know what to expect from Duke. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's a number of games on Saturday where I wouldn't be surprised to hit a lot, see a lot more people hit the transfer portal after, uh, you know, they participate in the bowl yeah. game uh, with the window still being open. We'll, we'll see who, um, how that plays itself out. Look, uh, Troy's got a new head coach. Gerald Parker, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, uh, is in tow. And, and so they are going to be uh, the players who are going to be looking to make a statement. Uh, this is a guy that probably hadn't paid a ton of attention to Troy 
and what he may be working with. I find those angles interesting when you're trying to put on tape what you can do for a head coach coming in. So, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Kamani Vidal, uh, right here out of uh, the state of Georgia, I believe. Um, he, he's been carrying the load all season long. I look for him to continue to do so. Uh, but more importantly, I do look for Troy, uh, those guys, to put something on tape for their new head coach, try and prove uh, what they can do. Same can be said about Manny Diaz, just coming down yep. to coach the Blue Devils for, yep. uh, for for Duke. And I think this is interesting from that angle. So uh, that's the one that we're going to roll with. All right, so let's move into the Camellia Bowl. One of my favorites, actually the first ever bowl game that, uh, or one of the first bowl games that I've been to, uh, Camellia Bowl over there in, in Alabama. It's a lot of fun. Small little stadium, kind of a granite stadium that uh, it's a it, it's it's a cool spot to watch a bowl game. Arkansas State and Northern Illinois are going to be playing in this one. Butch Jones, yes, that Butch Jones is that coach of Arkansas State. He's looking to end the season on a positive note, and the offense can really crank it up, or it doesn't show up. 425 yards feels like the magic number for these guys. Six and zero when they hit it. Zero and six when they don't. They like to run the ball. And the Huskies have a good enough defense, but they never seem to show up for bowl games. They've lost seven in a row, seven bowl games in a row. They also run the ball pretty well, but that's pretty much all they can do with all of the receivers that they've now lost in the transfer portal. Feels like a game that Arkansas State could should control. Yeah, I look, I, I never know how much of this carries over to bowls. I certainly don't believe in the trend of, like, you're a good bowl team or you've lost seven in a row. Like, you could throw the numbers out there. I know you love them. You looked them seven up. Seven in so a why, row is a lot. That's why a lot. not use them? I don't care. I just I just, I can't believe that anyone thinks that carries over. I just don't believe it. <laughs> uh, I will say this about Northern Illinois. Uh, they got an outstanding pass defense, one of the best in the country, top 10 overall unit there on passing uh, defensively. So, uh, we'll, we'll see if they, uh, uh, what Arkansas state looks to do. They've obviously got to have some success in the run game. If they're going to move the ball, uh, on this one also, um, like a little shout out to our, our mascot who's laying beside me now, Chipper. We've got, uh, the NIU Huskies against the Arkansas state Red Wolves. So a little, little canine combat going on there noon on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I think it should be a lot of fun there. James Madison and air force. They're going to be taking on, well, it's the Armed Forces Bowl. They're going to be playing each other in that one. James Madison, they deserve this. Uh, they should have played in the Sun Belt Championship too, but um, of course you have NCAA rules that don't make any sense, and they like to, to play by their own rules. But they did lose Kurt Signetti to Indiana along with a number of his assistants. Uh, Jordan McLeod, of course, is gone uh, after this game, but he is going to be playing in here. So I don't know who is actually going to be there uh for james madison i don't know if it's going to be a, a shell of their former selves but i think they're still going to show up for this game this is gonna be a big one for them air force of course had a really special season going they started the year eight and oh but they got really derailed and into the season on a four game losing streak um look they have one of the best rushing attacks they make no secret about it it's an option attack they can throw it a little bit too but they want to run the ball um, and James Madison is historically good at stopping the run. They've only allowed 61 yards per game on the ground. And this front seven is really the biggest thing for them. They are lethal. They lead college football in tackles for loss and they're tied for third in sacks. Um, I think the time off should help them get healthy again. Uh, that being, uh, Arizona, uh, excuse me, air force, they've kind of struggled in the health department. So I think they, they should be able to rest up a little bit. I think that the, the matchup between the James Madison front seven and this Air Force rushing attack is really going to be very fascinating to watch. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned it with Air Force, uh, with the 8-0 start, and right as they really started to get some national attention, it just kind of fell off. Uh, they get absolutely obliterated by Army 23-3 to and and uh, don't seem to recover. I lost a close one to UNLV a couple weeks later. But uh, James Madison at, at 11-1, and just the one slip-up App State, close game. Uh, remember that one went into overtime. He had the batted ball. There's all sorts of nonsense going on uh, mm-hmm. in that one. So uh, I, I like James Madison. Uh, I, I really do. And, and we talk about teams that have something to prove in bowl season. Yeah. And again, the term meaningless, you use it however you want. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't care either way. Sure. Uh, but there are definitely teams who have motivation. Uh, now that doesn't mean the other team has motivation and you can judge that as you will as well. We'll talk about that when we get to the <laughs> orange bowl with Georgia and Florida state down the road a little bit later. Um, but it, it, this is a situation where I think James Madison wants to prove uh, itself. Uh, it was, it was denied an opportunity to play in the new year six, denied an opportunity to play in the conference title game. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, th- this is by default because they were forced into it their championship. And I think that they're going to be out for blood in this one. Uh, I agree with what you said. The matchups do seem to favor James Madison. If they are able to look like they have through the main portion of the season defensively. So uh, unlike some of the other games we talked about, this one might be a little low scoring, might be a little more plotting, um, but uh, it doesn't make it any less interesting. I would say it'll be intriguing all the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell how much, how much this means to James Madison. I mean, you have a starting quarterback who's, quite literally transferring he's in the portal or he's about to be in the portal but he's still playing and practicing with his teammates and he says i'm gonna finish what we started they they had a really special season over there at james madison and i I think you can really tell how important it is to them but speaking of a team that got off to a hot start and finished on a at a sluggish finish the panthers georgia state they were cooking to start this season six and one but then they lost in some blowouts down the stretch finished zero and five to finish the year. Of course, they're now six and six turnovers were a big deal for them. They have to protect the football. Um, and the running back, Marcus Carroll, he was the biggest, one of the biggest reasons they found a lot of success on offense. He led the team with 1300 yards, 13 touchdowns. He of course is off to Missouri. Um, on the other hand, Utah state beat up on the bad teams on its schedule and went Oh, in six to teams playing in bowl games. Four of those losses were by 10 plus points. So, I don't really know what to make of this one. This one should be a lot of fun. Not a lot of defense, but a ton of offense, even though Marcus Carroll isn't going to be playing in this game. Both units, I expect, are going to go over 400 yards. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. What I look for out of the Potato Bowl every year is it just a nightmare weather situation. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it's cold. I'm hoping it's snowy. Like, give me the blizzard. Like, I, I, I mean – Unlike what we saw with that App State ball game uh, last Saturday, where it was just rainy and ugly and muddy and no one could hold on to the ball. And all that. Like, give me just straight blizzard. I don't want rain and mud. I want blizzard and slippery and a dude with a rake coming through to clear out the lines. I haven't looked at the uh, I haven't looked at the the weather there in Boise. I should have, but uh, yeah, I mean, you nailed it with Georgia State. This is a team that needs to score to win games. Uh, they're not winning games with their defense. They had uh, what four straight, five straight games, whatever, uh, giving up 40 plus points through that five game losing streak. Uh, they only won one game this year when they scored 25 or less. Uh, so, so they've got to get on the board if they're going to want to beat Utah state. Unfortunately, 
Looks I'll like do perfect it. weather out there in oh, Idaho on Saturday. I'll make I'll make some calls. We'll get Mother Nature. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll do a little rain dance or something over here. Um, it's gonna be like mid thirties or something, which is it's pretty chilly, considering most bowl games are played in sunny Florida or something like that. And no, you get to go up to Boise, Idaho. So have fun out there, Georgia State and Utah State. Uh, next up, we got the '68 Ventures Bowl, South Alabama and Eastern Michigan. Um, look, South Alabama, they've never won a bowl game, but I feel like this could be a year of first for them. Uh, they're playing a not so very good Eastern Michigan team, uh, but they've had a very roller coaster type of season. They started out by getting rolled by Tulane, then they blow out, and I mean blow out Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And then all of a sudden, you face plant the next week against Central Michigan, a, a pretty bad Central Michigan team, only to turn around and, and really give James Madison their biggest shove of the entire season at that point in a tough loss the next week. So if you're really trying to find a team with consistency, this is not your squad. Um, but I will say they're 6-0 and when they run for more than 190 yards or more, uh, or 190 yards or more. But then they turn over sporadically. They have four turnovers in those six wins, and then they have 15 in their six losses. Uh, so don't turn the ball over. Run the ball effectively. That's really what you want to do if you're South Alabama. And unfortunately for them, Eastern Michigan can actually take the ball away pretty well, but they really aren't good at anything else. Um, we'll see with this. Chris Creighton, I think, has, has done a great job with this Eastern Michigan team. Since he took over, I think it was like 2017, uh, they had won – They've been to six bowl games since 1974. Let's say that their, their program was founded in 1974. He took over in 2017. He's responsible for five of their six bowl trips since 1974. So I think he'll have them ready for ready to go for this one. I still don't think that that's going to be enough for South Alabama. I think they're going to just be able to do too much with the ball. And that doesn't help that you don't have your starting quarterback, Austin Smith. He has opted out for this game. Yeah, and just to add on to the South Alabama love in this one, this is a game played in Mobile, Alabama, and you do imagine they will have some comfort and and some home field advantage to further boost uh, uh, maybe any edge they do have over Eastern Michigan. So you look out for that. Uh, you know, some of these bowl games, you get worried about the crowd size, uh, but but you know when you do see a situation like this where they're playing relatively close to home, you hope they can caravan, you hope they can fill up the stadium, and and. Uh, give both teams a good atmosphere for, for a bowl game. Yeah. I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, so let's move into one of our actual ranked matchups, the Las Vegas bowl, Utah and Northwestern. I think that this one, you might have the ranking on there, but I think this might be one of the ugliest games of the weekend. Both teams like to play methodical plotting football and they'll battle for field position. Of course, Utah playing without its quarterback Northwestern. It's hard to really make, what they are, but they rally behind David Braun. He was just named the full-time head coach of Northwestern earlier this month. Uh, ben Bryant was good enough most of the season for pretty limited offense, threw for 230 yards and three of his seven starts, which, I mean, at the end of the day, is, that's okay. Uh, but Bryson Barnes for Utah, he's entered the portal. Uh, Nate Johnson, he's already transferred to Vanderbilt. So we'll see. Um, but uh, wait, wait, no, I think Bryson Barnes is actually playing in this game, uh, but he is going to enter the portal after this game. Uh, I think this could be a really good pro propeller for him, I guess, or maybe some extra tape for him. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, I, I don't expect a lot of fireworks in this game. 
Yeah, it's interesting because when I think about bowl games and I think about what's liable to slip from what you were in the regular season, I think hard-nosed defense more so than anything else is the one. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, there's there's a mindset thing or or what you're playing for or a lack of um, activity. You know, practice becomes a little bit different because you're mm-hmm. not necessarily preparing for a game. You're preparing for all of next season, and, and you're using uh, those practices differently than you would for your regular game week stuff. And, and so when you do get into a situation where you have two defensive-minded, oriented teams – uh, does that that lack a little bit? So that actually gives me some intrigue to see if these will be uh, uh, the defenses we think about, where a winner could have 17, 20, 21 points, or if someone's able to reach the 30s. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, you, you do credit Northwestern for what they've been able to do this year. They, they've had a lot of issues surrounding the program. Just to get to a bowl game uh, is yeah. pretty uh, impressive. So uh, kudos to them. They had to win their last three game. Well, I guess two games cause they had ended up with seven, but, uh, they went on a run. Uh, they won four of their last five. Their only loss was a, well, it was Iowa. So <clears throat> what are you going to do? It was 10, seven, but, uh, uh, they've so they're used to roll. playing these slug fest. Yeah, they've been on a roll a little bit. So it'll be something to look forward to if they can keep that up and, uh, keep the Utes out of the end zone. Yeah, and honestly, the the job that David Braun has done this season has been really a masterclass. Um, What he inherited, the the situation that was going on at Northwestern over the the course of the summer was just a bit of a nightmare. And, I mean, they really rallied behind him. um, And and they they actually turned in a a respectable season, all things considered. But let's move into the nightcap, the wonderful Hawaii Bowl, a game that everyone wants to go to. um, But, you know, it's middle of the night and way over there very far away i'd love to go to this game i think it'd be a lot of fun mostly because i just want to go to hawaii but coastal yeah, carolina and san jose state are heading out there um the starting quarterback actually for san jose san jose state uh chevin corierto started his career as the guy under center for hawaii uh he was uh now he's coming home and i think that's really cool uh, backed up to a tongue of in high school that was the biggest thing he was first team all mountain west this season 22 touchdowns averages 38.7 points per game do the San Jose State um what are they the Warriors? I think they're the Warriors. No, that, that's Hawaii. But uh they've averaged 38.7 points Spartans. per game. Spartans. I knew some warrior of some kind. I was like, I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but they finished the season on a six-game winning streak. Um the Spartans haven't lost since October 7th. And that was a game to Boise State to cap off a really tough start to their schedule. Uh, meanwhile, the Chanticleers, they're going to be without Grayson McCall, who, of course, just transferred over to NC State. Jared Brown, the wide receiver, is also in the transfer portal. And the biggest thing is that when Grayson McCall went down with the injury, it seemed like the, the defense sort of disappeared, too. They allowed 365 yards to a really not-so-good Army team and then 481 yards in a blowout loss to end the season. Uh, really, they've just been trending downward, has Coastal Carolina. Yeah, playing this game without Grayson McCall is going to be tough. You mentioned he's transferring to the ACC. I mean, this is the guy that almost transferred to Florida uh, a year ago before they settled on Graham Mertz. That that was the mm-hmm. rumor. So he's kind of been one foot out, one foot in, one foot out. But one, once he returned uh, to the Chanticleers, he he went full heads in and, and was ready for the season. He's an outstanding talent. I, I you know it's going to be tough to recover without him. So uh, you know, I look for San Jose State just with the familiarity of their offense to do some things, but. Uh, you know, also the impact of, and I know they'll be out there for a couple of days, but travel time, 
obviously we know San Jose is already on the West Coast. They, sure. they still got to fly quite a bit, um, but but not quite as much as Coastal Carolina. We'll see if there's any uh, impact from that sort of travel as well. Who knows? Maybe in the new college football world, they'll be in the same conference. I don't know. They're just all group of fives. Lump them all together. <laughs> just put them all together. Who put knows? Them all together. All right. Well, that's it for us on the College Football Overtime Podcast. We had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. So make sure you're liked and subscribed so that you follow along. Get that notification every time so a new podcast pops up. You can be the first to listen. So we appreciate you for listening in along with us. For Abe Gordon, my name is Garrett Chapman. We are College Football Overtime. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again on Monday.